Praise the Lord. God bless you this morning. Amen. What an awesome opportunity we have today to enter into His presence. Praise God. Every day that the Lord gives us is an opportunity. Amen. Praise God. Uh, let's all stand. God is desiring to do something in our midst here today. Amen. He is. Praise God. And it behooves us to take advantage of that. To not just take it for granted, let it pass by. But we are here for a specific reason. We're not here by chance. There, there is no circumstance. There is no coincidence. There is no chance in the kingdom of God. I don't believe that at all. God orchestrates things. He directs things according to His plan, His will. Amen. I can look back through my life, uh, how I got into church. It seemed like just a random series of events, but it wasn't. It was orchestrated. It was planned from the very beginning. Amen. God is so good to us. And what He desires to give and to do in our lives today is good. Amen. Let's call out to Him. Let's seek His face. Let's receive of Him today everything that He has in store. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We praise You. We are so thankful for this opportunity You've given us this morning to enter into the very presence of Almighty God, the very throne room of the Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. We seek Your face. We understand, Lord Jesus, and we declare that You are our Savior. You are the One who suffered on a cross and died for us. You took the just punishment of my sins upon Yourself. That was supposed to be me, but it was you. You did it for us. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for you and for your so great salvation, for each and everything that you do for me, the many benefits that I enjoy of you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome, awesome God that we serve today. I pray, Lord, for each person within the sound of my voice, that you would minister to their each and every need, that you would meet with each person here, that you would speak with them directly. Hallelujah, Jesus. They are your creation. You died for them. Thank you, Jesus, and you're the one that loves them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have in store for us today. We worship you and we praise you and we give you all the glory and we give you all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. Amen. Uh, youth can be dismissed. Praise God. Review of last week. We talked about... You stay up here, Brother McGinnis. <laughs> Last week we talked about uh, David and Solomon. Solomon was tasked by David to build God in house. Amen. It was David's desire. It was David's burden. But God told him, no, you will not build this house for me. Your son, who will be raised upon your throne in your stead, he's the one that will build this house. So David, rather than uh, get all in the molly grubs about it. He decided to not focus on what he couldn't do. He focused on what he could do. And he made preparation for Solomon. He made preparation. He gathered gold and silver in abundance, iron, uh, laborers, without number, the Bible says. 
And he did everything that he could. Even though, even though this would be forever known as Solomon's temple, he still decided he was going to do everything he could to make this happen. And the reason it did happen is, we, is because David was able to transmit his burden to the next generation. He was able to transmit that burden to his son, to Solomon. And if that would never have happened, I mean, Solomon could have just paid lip service to it. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'll take care of it. And then when David died, I'm not taking care of it. That was his deal. That's not mine. But that's not what happened at all. Solomon said, after David's death, I purpose in my, in my heart. I'm purposing to build this. David's burden became Solomon's burden. Amen. And we have got to, we have got to understand that. It is so important for us, especially uh, those of the older generation, to transmit what God has given us, to transmit that and instill that in the next generation. Because should the Lord tarry, folks, uh, we're all gone at some point. Every one of us are going to die at some point. I mean, it's, it's kind of morbid to, to say it, but it's the truth. I mean, that, that's part of life, right? We're born, we live our lives according to the number of years that God has given us. And then when God calls us home, we're done. That's it. And, and there's, nothing, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, I'm sorry to say uh, when it's when it's our time, folks. I mean, it's uh, we're home. We're done. And yeah, Amen. We're looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. But the work of God will still continue should the Lord tarry here on earth, and it can't continue through us because we're gone now. But the next generation remains to to carry that forward. Those burdens, those those dreams, those those ideas that God has given us. Those desires, those passions, the zeal that He's given us needs to be transmitted because should the Lord tarry and we're gone. Everything that God gives us, everything that God puts in my heart may not come to pass in my lifetime. And I've got to be okay with that. But the work of God will continue. And we, we can ensure that by not focusing on those things that we can't do well, if I'm not going to see the results of it, I'm not going to bother with it. No, that's, that's not right. We can prepare, we can make preparation so that the following generation coming up after us, they're ready to take the reins and they're ready to, to move forward. Amen. All right, daily devotions. You've heard of a generational curse? David was interested in passing down a generational blessing. Amen. When he transmitted his burden, his cause, to his son Solomon, it wasn't just the temple, but more generally, it was serve the Lord, obey Him, seek wisdom. He was wanting to pass down a generational blessing. Amen. That is in our power to do as well. And if you're feeling right now like, well, maybe I haven't done the, the best job of doing that in my past, 
we have today and every day thereafter that the Lord gives us to do that. Amen. I don't want to focus on the failures of my past except to learn from them and move on. We certainly don't want to repeat our failures. Let's learn from them, get up, keep walking. Amen. That's the will of God. How we get up from this is we start today by transmitting a generational blessing to our families. Amen. It's never too late, folks. It's never too late to start doing that. Day one, God's presence and God's Word provide the foundation for any successful spiritual endeavor. Amen. The Spirit and the Word in perfect harmony. Praise God. It talked about weaknesses in our foundation and how that those weaknesses are typically discovered during times of stress or storm. That's absolutely true. We, we understand that. Every piece of metal is good, it's solid, until it's stress tested. You start twisting and turning, bending and, and, and put some heat on it, and you start seeing little stress cracks, little, little weaknesses that you never would have seen before, you never would have found. And in a spiritual sense, every worldview, every philosophy works as long as it's sunny outside and everything is going well. Every one of them work. You start seeing the weaknesses of a lot of these philosophies and worldviews when things aren't working. When things start falling apart in our lives. Then, folks, I declare to each of you that only one worldview works. And that's the biblical Christian worldview. That's the only one that will endure stress and storm, circumstance and situation. That's the only one that works in every situation. Day two. When making iron into steel, immense heat and pressure are required. Steel is stronger than iron. But to make iron stronger, there's a process involved. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. These are a part of our Christian walk. They're a part of life for everybody. Christian or no, you're going to have temptations. You're going to have trials and tests. You're going to have bad things happen. That's just a part of living in this fallen world, folks. But the difference with the Christian is that we have a help. We have someone walking alongside of us. Amen. And we have the peace that passes all understanding. We have joy, unspeakable and full of glory, even in the midst of the worst situation. How is that even possible? Because we know in whom we have believed. Praise God. Fiery trials remove impurities from our lives and they add essential elements into our lives that strengthen us and make us better fit for kingdom service. Praise God. When we look at it in those terms, I'm not saying that we're all going to go out and start praying and fasting for trials, but when they do come, we should be thankful for them because we understand the end results of them. Day three, God has the master blueprint for our lives, how we are to be built and what we are to look like upon completion. And if we're not careful, we end up selecting other architects other builders that build us contrary to those blueprints. And we end up in a way different place. We end up looking different, being different than what God originally intended. 
Don't do that. Continue to submit yourself to God's blueprints for your life. Follow Him. Day four. Although God's name would dwell in Solomon's temple, the fullness of God cannot be contained by any building. He even says that in 1 Kings 8.27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold the heaven, and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. I really like that verse. Because it explains that although God's name is going to be in this temple, His fullness certainly is not. His fullness is throughout creation. Whatever, whatever God created, His, His presence is there. Today, we are God's temple. We understand receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, we don't have all of God inside of us. But His name is to dwell here. Does His name dwell here in you? Do people know that His name dwells in you? Are you identified with Jesus Christ? Amen. Can people tell who resides in that house? Day 5. What seeds are you planting in your children's heart? Again, you feel like you've done a less than perfect job? Start afresh today. Start today to plant good seeds in your spouse, your children, your parents. Amen. Our lesson today, we're going to be talking about Solomon, how that he asked for the right thing. Solomon asks for wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting with verse 5, is where we'll take our scripture text this morning. First thing, first things. First Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, starting with verse 5. The Bible says this. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David thy father great mercy, according my father great mercy, according as he walketh before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, Thou hast made Thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Thy servant is in the midst of Thy people which Thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore Thy servant an understanding heart to judge Thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, Thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, and after thee shall... Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then will I lengthen thy days. 
And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. Amen. It was a simple Google search rooted in curiosity. Who, I wondered, would be the all-knowing Google list as would be the all-knowing Google list as the wisest man in the world. It turns out that it is Christopher Michael Langan who knew. Mr. Langan is reported to have endured a brutally difficult childhood, according to a Wikipedia article on his life. Quote, Langan's biological father left before he was born and is said to have died in Mexico. Langan's mother married three more times and had a son by each husband. Her second husband was murdered. Her third died by suicide. Langan grew up with a fourth husband, Jack Langan, who has been described as a, quote, failed journalist, who went on drinking sprees and disappeared from the house, locked the kitchen cabinets so the four boys could not get to the food in them, and used a bullwhip as a disciplinary measure. As a child, however, Langan's intellectual brilliance was noted early on. He skipped multiple grades in elementary school. In his latter years of high school, he was allowed to teach himself as the school staff could no longer challenge him. In his last two years of high school, Langan taught himself philosophy, physics, advanced math, Greek, and Latin. When he took the SAT, he scored a perfect score, even though he fell asleep briefly in the middle of it. His IQ is thought to be somewhere between 195 and 210. I don't know where that falls, but I imagine that's pretty high. So the idea of Mr. Langan being one of the most, most intelligent people alive, if not the most intelligent, is certainly plausible. That fact, however, does not make the Google search results valid that he is the wisest. Indeed, in his later years, he became an advocate for multiple conspiracy theories and, exhi and exhibited racial and anti-Semitic tendencies. Brilliant? Absolutely. Wise? Not so much. Wisdom is a wonderful commodity to possess, and it is highly commended to us in Scripture. When we consider wisdom from the pages of the Bible, one name immediately comes to mind. Solomon was assured by God that there would never be another as wise as him. He is the standard bearer for what wisdom looks like in a life and what a life looks like when wisdom is later rejected. Amen. So the Lord gives Solomon a dream. Solomon was in Gibeah, which at the time was the capital of the kingdom of Israel. It was that under the reign of King Saul. And it was considered a high place of worship. So Solomon went there. He took over a thousand animals with him. Uh, he was going to sacrifice unto the Lord his God. Amen. But while he was in Gibeah, something wonderful happened to him. He had this strange dream. And God appeared to him in the midst of this dream. Now dreams, we all have dreams. Every one of us. Every night that we fall asleep, we have dreams. We don't remember them sometimes. But we do. Every one of us do dream. Studies indicate that dreams originate in the brain stem, but the prefrontal cortex, or that part of the brain associated with higher level reasoning, is not active when we sleep. And that's why when we're dreaming weird, crazy things, we don't sit there and think, this can't be happening. This is impossible. That never crosses our minds. We just take it at face value. We're flying across the United States in our couch, 
and we're being chased by winged aardvarks. We don't think, this can't be happening. We think, how do I get away from these aardvarks? They're trying to kill me. That's why. That part of our brain is not engaged. And so we just take everything at face value. We appear in the middle of a situation. We don't know how we got there. We don't think of it. We just start acting it out. But most dreams, folks, are not from God. Now, we're going to talk about how God does visit us in dreams, but it's, it's unwise, if not dangerous, to ascribe spiritual meaning to every dream that we have. Amen. Uh, that could be the pizza talking. Uh, you know, maybe God can speak through pizza, but, but typically it's the pizza talking, okay? Uh, however, anchovies, <laughs> yeah, those are some weird, weird dreams. But, but the fact of the matter is that God does speak to us in dreams, or He certainly can. We have that promise, don't we, that God will speak to His people in dreams and in visions. We know uh, the Apostle Peter received a vision. All this unclean meat. God said, Arise, slay and eat. It was for a reason. It was for a purpose. Paul had visions. My wife gets dreams. Now God, He just lets me sleep. He doesn't talk to me. I, at one of our district conferences, I, I, I can't remember his name, I think it's the Arkansas District Superintendent. Brother Gaddy, yes. Yes, he was talking about this. He's like, yeah, I've heard preachers get, yeah, God woke me up in the middle of the night and put a burden on me and I started praying and fasting. And, and God doesn't do that with me. He just lets me sleep. I don't know if He doesn't trust me or... <laughs> That's me. He just, he just lets me sleep. But my wife, she gets these dreams. When I, was, uh, when I was ready to propose to her, I needed to get her ring size, right? So we had a mutual friend, and I had her borrow her ring. Just try to borrow her ring and then give it to me so I can get it sized. Well, God ruined the whole thing. Gave her the exact plan in a dream the night before. Exact plan. And so when, when our friend approached her and said, asked to borrow her ring, she's like, why do you want to borrow my ring? Just, you know, playing coy. Because she knew. I was so, I wasn't angry at God, but that wasn't how it was supposed to go down. She's had other dreams. And, and, and God, God tells her things. So I'd listen to what she says. Amen. Because God speaks to my wife in different ways than He speaks with me. So, so God certainly does do that. I mean, it's been proven to me time and again. Uh, I can't do anything because she'll find out. And so I stay. I am a good boy. I, I'm good to her. <laughs> God will tell on me. <clears throat> But God does communicate to us in all kinds of ways, dreams being one of them. Amen. So, in this dream that's, that came to Solomon, 
God comes to him and he gives him a very remarkable and an unqualified offer. Ask what I shall give thee. No qualifications, no, no boundaries, no limits, nothing. Just ask what I, I should give you. Period. That seems amazing to me. Whatever Solomon would ask for was his for the taking. What would you do if God came to you in a dream and presented that to you? What would you ask for? What would be in your heart? What springs to mind first? Well, in Solomon's heart, in Solomon's case, we, under, we knew how he answered. But we do have a similar promise. Promises. John 14, 13, 14 says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. The God who is able to do anything offers to do anything we legitimately need to advance the cause of Christ in His will. Amen. We've used this example before. If I ask for a Ferrari, I may or may not get it. I mean, I can't, I can't dogmatically, in faith believing, I'm going to worship God for it because I've received my Ferrari by faith. I, I just don't believe that. I mean, he can give me a Ferrari if he wants, but I don't think I have a covenant promise to get a Ferrari. Now, if I'm asking for the salvation of someone, I'm going to claim that boldly. That's God's perfect will. I know that that's His will. You see the difference there. These promises that God has given to us, uh, they're not as open-ended as we'd like to believe. I can't just claim a billion dollars a month and and because if I got a billion dollars, God, I could I could provide for every missionary. I, this is for the cause of Christ. Is it though? And maybe God has a different plan for the missionaries. Maybe He's going to provide for them another way. In any case. The promises that God has given to us in Scripture, we stand on them, we claim them, we use them. But just understand, they're not for me, they're for Him. They're not for my kingdom or or for my name, they're for His kingdom and His name, to advance His cause. And if that's always at the front of my mind and if that's always what's in my heart, I have a promise from God, folks, that He's going to answer. Amen. But if I'm seeking my own, if I'm seeking my own lusts, these promises, as far as I can see, are, at least in my mind, are null and void. That's not how God's promises work. If I'm seeking His will, if I'm seeking His kingdom and His glory, I have promises from God and I'm going to use every one of them. Amen. We've got to be open to hearing God's voice, don't we? This is the first time, at least in Scripture, that God communicates with Solomon. Now, I can imagine, just like it was for uh, Samuel, when God first spoke to him, maybe it was a little confusing. I've never experienced this before. God's never spoken to me before. Again, it just might be a pizza dream. 
But as children of God, we've got to be able to discern His voice. We have got to be comfortable and familiar with the voice of the Good Shepherd. The Bible says that my sheep hear my voice. Amen. He speaks to us in many different avenues. He speaks through the Scripture, through our spiritual authorities, by the voice of the Spirit. Several times we see this phrase, If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. God, give us ears to hear the voice of God. So God proposes this question to Solomon. And Solomon responds, Whenever God speaks to us, it is necessary that we respond to God. God is looking for a response from us. Amen. Just quiet acquiescence is typically not the answer God is looking for. When God asks you a question, He would like a response. When God issues a command to us, He would like us to at least acknowledge it. Amen. When I was in the army and the drill sergeant spoke to me, if I would have just turned around and did what he said, he'd have called me right back. Right? That's not right. That's not proper. Yes, drill sergeant. And then you move. You acknowledge the command. So when God speaks, respond. Respond. In this case, God really wanted Solomon to express his heart's desire. Did God know Solomon's heart's desire? Absolutely he did. God knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart, even when we don't. But I think it's telling. I think the reason is that God wanted Solomon to know what was in his heart. What Solomon's heart desired, though, is what was so noteworthy. Solomon could have asked for anything he wanted. Anything. And he would have given it to him, according to the Word of God. If he'd have asked for a long life, I think that God would have honored that. Riches, God would have honored that. The first question I have is why would God ask this of Solomon? He didn't come to Saul in a, in a dream. He didn't even come to David in a dream and ask him this question. Why Solomon? Would he come and ask this of me? And if so, how would I respond? How did Solomon have the wisdom to ask for wisdom before he had wisdom? I thought that was pretty clever. That was in the book. That wasn't mine. <laughs> Proverbs 4, 3 and 4 says this, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Later on, same chapter, verse 7, he says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. 
Amen. It's possible that Solomon was recounting the instructions that his father David gave him and fell back on that when asked this wondrous question. Wisdom is the principal thing. Truer words have never been spoken. Wisdom is so important. There are all kinds of intelligent people in this world. All kinds of them. People way smarter than any of us. Geniuses in in their fields or, or whatever. But they don't have enough wisdom to fill a thimble. Their lives demonstrate it. If I had to choose between one or the other, I would choose wisdom. God exceeded Solomon's request, but with a stipulation. God was very pleased with Solomon's request. Solomon's heart mirrored God's heart. How does God value wisdom? If you, if you read the book of Proverbs, folks, you'll understand what God thinks of wisdom. God was so pleased with Solomon's answer, in fact, that God gave him everything he did not ask for. He gave him wealth, riches, military might, victory over his enemies. As well as he would be the wisest man to ever live. Wealth and victory over his enemies, wisdom, they were granted unconditionally. But as for the long life, there was a stipulation attached, wasn't there? 1 Kings 3.14 says, And if thou wilt walk in my ways... To keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. There was something required of Solomon first. And after that requirement was met, then God would step in and fulfill his promise. Amen. God tied the length of Solomon's days to Solomon's willingness to keep the commandments of God and to walk in covenant obedience with him. If Solomon fails to do that, God's promise is null and void. He has broken the terms of the covenant, as it were. That promise was no longer binding in that case. When God gives us promises, we must always be aware of any conditions tied to those promises. Amen. Now, He's given us some You ask anything in my name, I'll do it. I mean, some of them seem very unconditional. But there are others that are conditional. If you will, then I will. Is basically how those conditions go. God is expecting something of us first. And after that condition is met, then we can receive the promise. Sometimes, we really need that promise. We really want that promise. And so we're like, why are you taking so long, God? I need this now. Read the terms of the contract, sir, ma'am. There's no fine print here. There's no section 43, paragraph 9, subsection F that you've got to look through. It's very plain. It's very clear. God's promises to us. 
if you'll do this, I'll take care of that. Second Peter 1 and 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Folks, these are exceeding great and precious promises. I've said this before. If all God would do for me is save me, that is more than enough, thank you. If I was left to my own devices from that point on, that's enough, folks. God saved me. I'm going to meet Him after death. I'm going to live with Him forever. Praise God. But He doesn't stop there. He gives us all these other promises. And all I have to do is claim. All I have to do are meet the requirements. And they're mine. Are the requirements hard? Absolutely not. They're not hard at all. Certainly compared to what I could receive. Amen. If we will observe God's Word, He'll keep His Word. When we ask anything of God, make sure the thing we seek is pleasing to God. Again, Solomon did not ask wisdom to benefit himself. Why did Solomon ask God for wisdom? To lead God's people. You established me on the throne, God, and I don't think that I can do this. It's too big for me. I need your help. I need wisdom to properly discern between right and wrong, to judge this, thy so great a people. Amen. And God responded wondrously to that request. Why? Because He asked for the right reasons. Solomon did not ask wisdom so that I would be known as the wisest man that ever lived. So that everyone would come and see the glory of my kingdom. And they did. They came from all over the place to see his riches and the, uh, his servants, how, how, they were, how, how well they were treated, and, and that there was silver. Silver wasn't even accounted for in his kingdom. And his wisdom. They heard his proverbs. The Queen of Sheba said, the half of which hasn't been told. I thought these were crazy, what, what I was hearing. But it's not even halfway there from what, what reality is. How often do you hear of that? Most stories, they're very exaggerated. You get to the truth and it's like, okay, that sounds more like it. But the exact opposite was true with Solomon. That's not why he asked for wisdom. Although all of that happened later. He wanted wisdom for God's purposes, for God's reason. And when we ask anything of God, Let's make sure that the thing we seek is pleasing to God. I know that we have needs. We have, uh, there's no food in the, in, the, in the house, and we've gone three, four days without food. I think if I ask God for provision, He's going to provide. If I'm taking care of His business, I have a promise that He'll take care of my business. Amen. I'm going to wait patiently on God, and I'm going to stand on those promises, and I'm going to get provision. Amen. We haven't been that far gone without food, but we've had no food in the cupboards. Wondering where the next meal was going to come from. God has always provided for us. Amen. 
Asking those things that are pleasing to God. Making sure that it's for His glory, His reasons, His kingdom that we're asking these things. And when we do, folks, these promises are yea and they're amen. They will come to pass. Praise God. Okay, so, after God honored that request, we see that Solomon was presented with an impossible situation to discern between. This situation, uh, we'll read the, read the account in a minute, uh, he had to discern which, which baby is, which mother is this baby's, which lady had this baby. Oh, God give me wisdom to say that right. <clears throat> we'll just read it in a moment. Anyway, understand that, I mean, today the solution would be, we'll just get a DNA test. We'll figure it out quick, fast, and in a hurry. But they didn't know what DNA was in Solomon's day. God did, but Solomon did not. They didn't have a way to test DNA. So he had to figure out, how in the world am I going to tell which one is lying and which one's telling the truth? No lie detectors. The account is found in 1 Kings 3, starting with verse 16. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. And when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. The other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. So how in the world, how do you get to the bottom of this? Well, God's wisdom starts kicking in right here. When we look at, uh, when we look at the New Testament and we see Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, and we see all of these learned Pharisees and, and lawyers trying to entrap him in his words, trying to get him to say something wrong. I find it hilarious that the God of wisdom would be assaulted by someone, someone like you and me. I mean, it's just laughable. It's like, well, it's like David and Goliath without God. I mean, it's, it's just, Jesus just, and walked on. Just one sentence. Whose superscription is it? Whose, whose face is on it? Render therefore unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. Boom. Just completely destroyed their whole plan. One sentence is all it took. The wisdom of God, folks. And when we're, when someone is coming to us, people come to us and ask questions and 
oh, this is going on in my life. You know, what should I do? Let the wisdom of God speak. We should be asking wisdom of God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. We should be asking wisdom of God. We should be studying the Scriptures. That's where we find wisdom, is in the Scriptures. Amen. So when, when that situation comes, like it did to Solomon, we're going to find ourselves in similar situations. Maybe something going on in our life. We need to discern between one and another. God can help us with that. God's wisdom will see us through that. Our wisdom will fail. Absolutely. It will shut down at some point. But God's wisdom is infinite. God's answers are perfect. And so, God's wisdom kicks in here in the life of Solomon. And he says this, 1 Kings 3.24 and 25. The king said, bring me a sword. They brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, give half to the one and half to the other. Now, the first time I read this, I thought, okay, yeah, this is like reverse psychology. This is what, this is what Solomon is doing. He's looking for a response. Maybe... Maybe the generation I was in at the time is more cunning or more sly or something. I don't know. But I've, I've had this done to me by others. I've done it to others myself. It's, it's not this instance particular, but manipulation. We can get to the place, folks, where we know how to manipulate people's emotions. People do it all the time. Okay? That's not what this is. But that does go on a lot. People manipulating others' emotions for their benefit. Leaders do it. Family members do it. Uh, if, if, if I have something over you, if you like something and I can take that away, then I have power over you. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. That's not what we're talking about here. Solomon did this for a specific reason. He was seeking the truth. He didn't know which one was telling the truth. He didn't know which one was lying to him. This way... In, con in, in a confrontation, it's, it's sometimes considered wise to escalate and to push the situation. If I think you're a danger to me, I'll approach you and, and uh, try to upset you. And the reason for that is I want to determine whether or not my suspicions are true. Depending on your reaction, if you kind of back off, hey man, I, don't, I know I was wrong. I'll just walk away. But if you start getting up in my face, then I, I throw down. When we push people, we get them upset, we get them emotionally compromised, the truth typically comes out. It's hard. It's hard for me to maintain a facade in that circumstance. Okay? 
This is what Solomon was doing. Getting the two women upset to the point where they would blurt out the truth. You see, it happens in courtrooms a lot. The lawyer will start pounding on people. The lawyer's not mad. He's not upset. He couldn't care less. He's probably getting a paycheck either way. But he's doing that for a reason. He wants the witness raw. He wants them upset because they can't hide the truth as easily in that state. When you're, when you're speaking with someone, you're arguing with someone or debating someone, that's why it's important for you to remain emotionally calm. You start getting upset. You start getting uh, compromised emotionally. You can't think straight. These ladies couldn't think straight because that was a pretty, I mean, that was a pretty agitated state, I imagine, that that, that would have caused. Cut the baby in half. <laughs> Give one to one, one half to the other. I mean, that seems crazy. And they thought it was crazy. And that got them to the place where they both blurted out the truth. The one said, no, 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 give it to her. Give it to her. Just save the baby. And the other one was like, yeah, split it in two. I mean, pretty easy at that point. We got what we needed. The wisdom of God. God knows how we're made, how we're built. He knows how to respond to every circumstance, every situation. After the king's judgment, his fame began to be spread abroad. First Kings 3 and 28 says, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Amen. They understood at that point, if they didn't before, that God had appointed Solomon as their earthly king, their secular king. God's wisdom was in him. Just like Solomon, folks, we ought to seek God's wisdom in every area of our lives. Every area. Proverbs 8 and 11 says, Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. That's a high statement. That, that's, a, that's incredible to me. That wisdom is more precious than silver and gold and rubies, diamonds. It's more precious than anything in this world. All the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. They don't even come close. Wisdom. Given that wisdom is the spiritual commodity, experience alone, nor any book other than the Bible, can provide it. I can't get enough experience to equal God's wisdom. I can't read enough books to equal God's wisdom. It's like... It's like knowledge. Spiritual knowledge cannot be attained by study, by, by diligence. It must be revealed to us. Revelation has to take place. And I think wisdom is, is a very similar vein. God has to give me wisdom, godly wisdom. There's wisdom the wisdom of this world is foolishness. It's foolishness, folks. I've look, I haven't looked at all of it. I've looked at some of it. It's chock full of holes if you just dig a little bit. They contradict each other all the time. I mean, it's... Uh, anyway. There's no wisdom out there. 
God's wisdom is all the wisdom there is. Everything else is foolishness. Seek wisdom from God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And it shall be given him. Praise God. God giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. It's God's perfect will. It's His desire for us to receive His wisdom. He wants us to be wise in Him. Amen. Now, God's not going to give us wisdom in the measure He gave Solomon. We understand that there's not going to be any like Him after. There was no one like Him before Him. We understand that. He's the pinnacle of of human wisdom, if I can say it like that. The wisdom that God will give a man. But we can still be wise in God. God has all kinds of wisdom to give. We are encouraged to ask of God wisdom who will give to us liberally. And we need to ask God wisdom for the right reasons. The reasons Solomon asked. Not so I can be considered wiser than everybody else in church. Everyone comes to me when they have a question. That's because I'm wise. That's not the reason, folks. The reason is to give God glory, to advance His kingdom, to minister to His people. Absolutely. To minister to those who have yet to become His people. We can see in the life of Solomon his submission to godly wisdom and his rejection of it. I find the contrast very stark between the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, It's almost a night and day difference and it's when someone is submitted to the will and plan of God and is receiving godly wisdom, book of Proverbs. When someone has left that and is seeking wisdom in other areas, Ecclesiastes. He came to the right conclusion in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity. It's all vanity. Absolutely it is. Without God, none of this makes sense, folks. That is our worldview in a nutshell. Without God, everything is vanity. It takes God to make sense of His creation. Period. We can observe the benefits of wise choices and the vanity and despair of unwise ones in the life of Solomon. This is a warning to us, folks. We see both sides of the fence. Some of you have come into this truth. uh, You weren't born and raised into this. Some of you have, have seen both sides of the fence, experienced both sides of the fence. You know what it's like to live in the world. You know what it's like to live for God. I think if I would have would ask any one of you, this is the life for us. There's a reason that we continue choosing this life. Because, frankly, folks, we can choose at any time to stop living for God. He's given us that that ability. But we continue to wake up every morning and choose Jesus. Why is that? I can tell you my reason. Because there's nothing out there. This is the life for me. 
This is the only life worth living, folks. Amen. Living for Jesus Christ is the best life. I can't, I can't even imagine a better life than living for Jesus. The benefits that we receive, the thing, how much He loves us and is concerned with us and His thoughts are toward us all the time, we're the apple of His eye. Oh, what an awesome God we serve. So it behooves us, folks, to consistently and fervently seek wisdom of God. And then when we receive wisdom of God, let's do it. Let's follow it. Let's act it out. The wisdom that God gives us, let's do that. Amen. Millions of people owe Him their lives, but chances are great you've never heard of Him. Though largely unknown, Stanislav Petrov's exercise of wisdom on one fateful day in 1983 quite literally changed the course of civilization. Anybody ever heard of this guy? I had not. Okay. Many have credited him him with the saving of the world. On September 26th of that year, 1983, tensions were high between the United States and the Soviet Union. Just three weeks previous, the Russians had shot down Korean Airlines Flight 007, 007, thinking it was a United States spy plane. (laughs) There it is. That is funny. Resulting in the death of all 269 passengers and crew members on board. Lieutenant Colonel Petrov was at his post as the duty officer at the command center for the Oko nuclear early warning system in Moscow. On that Monday evening, the Soviet satellite system reported the launch of an American ICBM, followed closely by five more. All the Russian military protocols called for an immediate and massive retaliatory strike before the American missiles could hit their targets and render the Soviets' capacity to respond void. Lieutenant Colonel Petrov, however, felt that something was not right. Why would the Americans only launch six missiles when they had thousands at their disposal? He wondered. Disobeying orders, he delayed long enough to double-check their systems, only to learn that he was correct. The alarm had been generated by a computer malfunction. Experts have stated that by his actions, Petrov likely saved the lives of half of the citizenry of Russia, the U.S., and all other NATO countries. Wisdom allowed this unsung hero to spare millions from the horrors of an all-out nuclear confrontation with nearly none of them even knowing how close the world came to such a horrible fate. While the chances of one of us ever being in such a pivotal position are minuscule, still each of us faces a collection of choices of equal magnitude. What will we do about our souls? How will we respond to Christ? Will we live faithfully for Him? How will we serve His kingdom? Where will we spend eternity? These matters are of such significance that we should never consider making them on the foundation of human reasoning only. Only only godly wisdom can properly guide such monumental decisions. One man once defined wisdom as the ability to see life from God's point of view. We all should seek to acquire that ability so we can make every decision of life from the perspective of what God sees. This should be true of the daily choices we make that affect our families, our careers, and our finances, as well as those that impact our lives beyond those shores. If we could see each crossroads from the vantage point of our Heavenly Father, the choices would certainly become much clearer. Amen. And it's not just those monumental choices that we need godly wisdom from. Those so-called lesser decisions that we have. We still need wisdom. We still ought to seek wisdom from God. Should I get that raise? Should I seek a promotion at work? Well, maybe... But maybe that promotion would take you out of an area God wants you in. 
I've thought about that in my workplace. I thought in six months I'm going to transfer somewhere else because this is a very boring job for me. But then I thought, well, maybe God wants me here. Maybe I need to stay here for a while. I don't know. It's something I need to seek God about. I need wisdom. Amen. But in any case, I can't just make those decisions flippantly. Neither can you. We need to seek the face of God. Get wisdom from Him. Amen. And follow that. That way everything works out according to God's plan. Let's all stand. Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I'm so thankful, Lord, that when we do ask wisdom of You, You do give to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Thank You, Jesus, for godly wisdom. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for godly counsel. Thank You, Jesus, that when we search the Scriptures, we receive wisdom of You. Oh, hallelujah. Give each of us, if we don't have it already, a heart to serve and to please You. Those things that we ask of You, let them be asked for the right reasons, that we could advance Your kingdom, that we could better serve You, that we're better able to serve. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is our desire as Your children It is our perfect desire, Lord Jesus, to serve You wholly with our whole heart, to advance Your kingdom, to seek Your glory and Your pleasure, to seek to please You, not ourselves. Lord Jesus, as our service continues, Lord, that You would speak to each and every one of us. I am so thankful for all that You have for us. Let the the people of God, let those present within the sound of our voice be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, We're on uh, break now. Go down and get some coffee if that's your thing, and we'll be back.